Okay, guys, welcome back to another episode of the On Target Podcast. Uh, today, I am honored and thrilled and excited to have my friend Ken Jones with me. Um, I, Ken, I'm going to let you kind of do a, most of the introduction of yourself, but but just to kind of get our, our listeners leaning in a little bit, um, man, you, you are a guy who wears a whole lot of hats um, with the Danville Fire Department, uh, Firehouse Subs, with Urban Fitness. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that, man. How, how in the world did you get into so many things at one time? Well, I, I guess it all started with me, you know, wanting or, you know, you always want to be something when you're little. And I seen a fire truck when I was like nine, eight years old. I think it was engine nine. And so from that, that's what I wanted to be. You know, even if you're in church and you say a little silent prayer, I wanted to be a firefighter. So um, he blessed me with that. Um but from that blessing of being a firefighter, uh, it along came other things, other opportunities. So it was kind of like I sit back and watch myself grow. Because if you, if you question me on how it happened, I could give you some tidbits. But overall, I was just blessed. And that's it. That's awesome, man. So I love talking with folks who... Um, not only aspire to be leaders, but, but are living that out. And you, you have to, and you're going to be humble about this. I know what you're going to say, but, but you have to have uh, some measure of leadership capacity to be able to operate the way you do in the fire department and owning a couple of businesses, managing all of that. So, so I think, yeah, obviously, man, God's blessing on your life starts that off. Um, having a drive. Let's talk about your drive for just a, just a minute. So mom and dad, um, and then how many, how many siblings did you have? <laughs> it was seven of us, but, um, when I was younger, I know we took in two cousins, so that was, uh, <laughs> had so a couple of extra rooms around the house, fill them up. If you didn't have them, you made, right, right, right. made anything into a room. So I guess part of that leadership part that came out of me naturally was my dad. You know, he was a minister. Uh, one time he had five churches, you know, Crazy. and to do all of that wow. without smartphones and yeah, computers wow. and, he used to write all his sermons down on paper, and he used to study, had a job, had all these kids, and he he just set the standard, um, getting up early, going to bed late, and that was his goal. And, and, and I think you pick up on that, whether mm-hmm. you do it consciously or unconsciously, you pick up on the fact of the people around you. And then, you know, throughout my life and throughout church, you meet all these individuals, and church can put on the most wonderful stage productions. Yeah. I mean, and people don't realize that we do it every Sunday without a skip of a beat. Right. So you set your life up around those things, mm. and, and and it pays off in the end. That's cool, man. That's a, you know, that's that that picture of dad working all the time. My dad was kind of the same way, and I remember being a kid thinking, man, can we just take a break here? <laughs> like, do we have to work all of the time? And when you're growing up, it's kind of like you, you want to play ball or you want to hang out with your friends or do whatever. But there's a, I don't know if it was this way for you, but for me, there was, there was a, a time in my life where that all switched over. It's like, okay, I get it. I understand why he's doing this. Now I've got to, got to become that. Exactly. And especially with him, uh, one story I can remember, we used to have a fireplace, a wood stove, and we had to get wood every year. And we were somewhere off of in Java and this this gentleman was going to let my dad, you know, cut some trees down and he had some down. And I kept asking my dad, you know, um, when, when are we going to finish? And he goes, it doesn't matter. And I, you know, I got frustrated with that answer of it doesn't matter. Yeah. And later on, what, it, what he meant was, you know, you're on my time. So it doesn't <laughs> matter. You're going to get this job yeah, done. Right. And, and, and I still carry that concept today. You know, it, it, if we have a job to do, it doesn't matter. We right. need to get the job done. And resources is always a big thing. Even with you, you know, every Sunday you have to get a job yeah, done. Yeah, that's right. And you, you plug your resources in it. So no matter what anybody say to you, at the end of the day, Jeff Lynch has to get the job yeah. done. Yeah, well, we that's... That, yeah, and I think that concept of a kid is that when I get finished with doing this thing that I have to do, I can go do something yeah. I want to do. Exactly. And I, so when I talk about the different hats that you wear, 
you know, on one hand, you can look at that and say, man, this dude's got to be so busy doing so many things. <laughs> but if you, if you don't look at your life's work, so to speak, as something that I have to do. So many people, man, live their life. I got to go into this factory and punch this clock and can't wait to go on vacation, can't wait to get off, can't wait to the weekend. But man, when you enjoy what you're doing, you know, that, that kind of goes away. It's like, I, I get to do this. And so like for you, you having multiple arenas that you're operating in, you get, you get tired of doing one thing, just go do the other <laughs> thing for a little bit, right? <laughs> well, I, I guess with me, um, I'm so happy and blessed to be a firefighter. Yeah. And that's what I want. Uh, that was my goal in life. That was my, I guess when people say you're successful, that was my success. Wow. All right, so, but he decided, God decided that, hey, look, I'm going to give you some extra. And, you know, so anything extra, I, I, I take as a blessing. That's cool. So my overall goal of being successful is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a firefighter, and then he decided, well, I'm going to promote you throughout the ranks. I got promoted to captain, hazmat team, honor guard. So all these things happen. Now, the other part of it, and, and we've talked about this before, I feel that he used me as collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that. I think I read a, wrote a little story to you about yeah. that. Is the fact that he uses me to bless others. That's good, man. So uh, um, um, his, you know, in the military, collateral damage means that we may ta- attack this certain area, but there may be damage throughout just to hit our target. Right. So I'm his target, and anything that happens around me is him blessing other people That's so me. cool, man. So, I love that. So I'm, I'm always considering myself collateral damage, whether it's employees, whether it's I can give to a a charity or something like that. And that's that's just that extra that mm. he's doing. Because again, if I step back and look at myself, I just see Ken. I don't, and people introduce me and I'm still going, who are they talking about? <laughs> well, I, but I, 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 will, I will agree with you on that, man. The time that I've known you, that's what I see. I mean, you don't go, you're not, you're not trying to make some big deal of being a generous, compassionate person. But even before I really knew you, knew you, Man, I come into the into firehouse subs and and you always greeted me like I was a brother and 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 you were always very kind to me and I see how generous you are to other people so I get what you're talking about with the collateral damage you know um, uh, yeah you got a job and you go into somebody's house is on fire or whatever that's the mission we got to take care of that but in the process how can I help other people along the way and it's really it's a great way to live your life man because oh, yes. a lot of people influenced <laughs> along the way. Um, so you talk about your dream as a kid being a firefighter. You've been doing that for a while. How long have you been yeah. in the fire department? Oh, 33 years. That's crazy, man. Can you it believe that? It doesn't even seem like it. I, can, I remember when I first got on the fire department, I had to switch station to station two. I, couldn't even, I didn't even know where it was at, so I had to call my cousin for <laughs> station two. And he said, where do I go to work today? So I found this station, and I walked in, and after everybody introduced, and we sat down, we were getting ready to eat lunch, and one of the guys, he was our engineer there, Gerald Yates, I said, how long have you been here? And he said, 17 years. And I was like, good day, man. Why do you stay here 17 years? <laughs> now I got some young kid walking in looking at me, and they're going, why are you here? Yeah, so, right, right. But um, again, it's, it's something I absolutely love doing. I mean, I, I think I was... This is something that I was actually built for. Yeah, I see that, man. You, you, you are absolutely built for it. That's a great way of putting it. Um, what would you say some of the highlights of being in the fire department? Um, I guess, you know, I've had a couple of rescues where, you know, you're, you're on scene and everybody's screaming. And, um, you know, the, I remember the mom being out. No, the mom wasn't there. The grandmother was there. And she was saying her son was upstairs. And, uh, you know, I tell you, we went upstairs, we couldn't see anything. Uh, no Captain Finkner, he was up there, and there was a little boy laying in the floor. And just when, he, when I got the child in my hand, and I knew I had to go like two bedrooms down, go down some steps. But again, you can imagine this without ever being in that house before. Completely dark, heat, smoke, lights, whatever. And that was like, a moment of clarity. It was like, you know, you know, I, I know that, that, you know, I, I guess I give all credit to God. I mean, I just went straight out, straight downstairs, 
didn't knock nothing over, didn't hit nothing, mm. didn't touch nothing. And when I got to the steps, it was General Chris Key. He was outside. I think he was driving engine three. And to see that moment and for that kid to survive, because you got to remember, I had on turnout gear, right. air pack, mask, everything. And this kid, and he did receive burns. He ended up in um, Chapel Hill Burn Center. Uh, wow. And I'll I tell you one of the coolest stories. One of the, I've, I've had great leaders in my life, and one of them was Captain Finkner. He lives in Chatham. But we all went to see that little boy in Chapel Hill. Mm. And I can remember going in his room and just thinking to myself, you know, we said a little prayer and he was all wrapped up. They did the skin grafts, things like that. And we were walking out and he taught me something that day that, that I carry to this day. Even when I was in the hospital with COVID pneumonia, um, the nurses started clapping and he made them stop. He told them stop. Kind of rude, and he started clapping for them. Oh wow! Because he said, "This is what y'all do every day." Man, how cool is that? You know, and and that right there has been like a life lesson for yeah. me. Uh, you know, when I was in the hospital with COVID ICU, the nurses would come in, you know, sticking me in the stomach, you know, for the blood clots, and sometimes it would just hurt so bad, mm. and they would say, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry," and I would say, "No, this is not mm. your fault. You're doing this to make mm. me better." Thank you. And wow. I, would, I would continue to thank them for whatever they thought they were doing to hurt me. And, and, and that came from back then. That, that was like one of those moments in life that you realize that, that you care about people and your goal is to make people happy. Wow. So let, let's chase that just a minute. Um, COVID pneumonia. People that maybe haven't seen you, talked with you a while, maybe, or maybe know you from a distance, or may not know the battle you've been through over the last few months, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we, you know, just in conversation, we talked about the fact that I did a little YouTube thing um, for another company. And the thing that I can remember is that, that you know, I guess, you know, throughout the Bible, God puts people in a certain position. And sometimes he will break them down, whether he puts in them, put them in a cistern, Joseph, whether he takes everything away from you, no matter what he does, he puts you in a position to let you know how strong he is. Mm. Um, for everything I went through, um, the pain, the, the, I felt like I was drowning for two days. Um, everything that my body went through, everything I went through mentally that, that just hurt me completely, I still thank him for it because he revived me because he knew that he had to take me to a certain point, slow Ken Jones down, make Ken Jones realize that that I need him more than ever. Mm. And for that, I thank him. Mm. You know, uh, I, you know, they talk about Job. How do you keep How do you keep celebrating? How do you keep praising him? And and you say it all the time. It's easy to praise him when you're happy and yeah. things are going great, but when you get to those bottom points, it's so hard until you just depend on your faith. Mm. Um, cause I, I, I told everybody I had my phone with me and that was one of my encouragements is to see a text message go by. And it's kind of funny, even in the, in the little interview that I did, um, somebody would text me, but I couldn't talk. So I would hit the button K and I always say, never use K. Yeah. That's your short term phone. Yeah. But I told them I didn't have my glasses on, so I probably sent them a B or C or a K. Or, I don't right. know what I sent right. them, but I sent them something. But yeah. the words of encouragement yeah. is so important. So with COVID, I got a chance to see behind the scenes. And, and, and I watch news, social media, mm -hmm. all these things where it's not as bad as we think it is. Well, it may not be as bad as you think it is in your world, but in their world, it is awful. Mm. You know, I complained about putting on a mask, but could you imagine working eight, 12 hours, putting on a fully encapsulated suit, a mask, a shield? I mean, these are what some of the nurses are doing right. just to perform their jobs for right. the day. And I, I told my wife and I tell everybody, you know, if I hear a zipper, even when I'm zipping up my own coat, you know, I was in one of the rooms where it was completely encapsulated, where they had to zip mm -hmm. it over. And usually if they unzip that curtain, there's a couple things going to happen. They're ready to give you a shot. <laughs> right. They're ready to take blood. <laughs> they're ready to give you an x-ray. So you were Pavlov's dog, man. You have a condition response to that zipper. <laughs> yeah, so zippers are out. I'm getting Velcro on there. Wow, man. That's crazy. So, so man, you were in rough shape. Like, Was there a point when you thought maybe 
this may be it. I mean, that, I come back from it. Well, the Tuesday, Thursday, because, you know, Monday is when I went went to Eaton, North Carolina, and they had told me they're not, they didn't have any rooms. We're not going to let you, you can't get in. If anything happens, just make sure you can find another hospital. And they told me that right off the beginning. But I told them, I said, look, I'm just here to get my blood gas. You give me my blood gas, mm-hmm. give me my numbers, my wife won't worry me as much. <laughs> and I go home, you know. That was the deal. Yeah. And, and after they did um, my vitals and did the blood gas, you know, that's when he came in and said, you're staying. And I was thinking, staying where? You yeah. don't have room. Right. Because they cleared out a little room and put me on some oxygen and threw me in there. And, you know, I, you know one of the things that I, I use then and use now, you know, all my plans... You know, they say, oh, you have good plans until Mike Tyson hits you. Woo! That's right. And after he hits you, <laughs> you don't have any more plans because my plans were to go home and... Tweet birds going around your head. Yeah, so, but but that was my, one of my wake-up moments of how serious this is. And then to be rolled down a hallway and seeing so many patients on gurneys. And I was in, they had a, their um, waiting room for COVID-ER was their, um, it was the chapel. So they shut their chapel down to put the COVID ER waiting room. And I tell everybody, I walked in there and it was like eight people in chairs on the floor laying around. I'm thinking, you know, it looks like a walking dead. Mm. And, and, and my heart just dropped. And then to see some of the nurses and, and what they're going through, it, it really changes you. And then when I went from the ER, which they converted into a COVID center, to the ICU and I kind of looked around, it, it just... It just takes you back to the fact that I get so caught up in my world that I, I don't realize what other things are like. And I know you've had those moments. I mean, over the last probably month or so, you've dambled, sunshine, right. people going about their normal way. You're driving, and then all of a sudden you hit those brakes and you're in Tennessee or wherever yeah, you're at. That's right. You can see that damage. And you, I mean, you've lived it through your sermons for us. So we can like rethink our lives. I mean, I never would have thought I'd be in that situation, yeah. and and I was. So my goal now is to kind of just, you know, do a testimony when I get a chance. Um, I'm more big on giving living testimonies than I am verbal. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but it, it all it all works. Yeah, that's tough, man. When I when I heard that that you were not only that you had COVID, but how, how bad it was, and, and it could potentially be really bad. I was like, man, I can't believe Ken Jones, of all people, <laughs> is, is in the ER with COVID pneumonia, and then I'm calling your wife and just, man, how is he, what's going on? And I could hear in her voice, she was oh, yeah. she was concerned, man, like, oh, yeah. it's, this isn't good. So I was calling guys and having people pray for you and all of that, but um, I, I, I don't know, man, when you talk about a couple of days feeling like you're drowning, I think you told me at one yeah. point that, that they wouldn't even turn the lights off at night, so the lights were on all the time? They left, what it is, um, you know, I talked to one of the nurses there, um, but what they do, they don't want you to get into, like, if you had a certain point, like a REM sleep, and that right there, you can control your breathing. Mm-hmm. So, and they, and every, probably, I would say two hours, they were doing something, because, you know, uh, the doctor there, he, he told me how many, um, as far as drugs were put into my system, you know, uh, I got five doses of Remdesivir, Remdesivir, and they did a double dose, and that was almost three thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah, I'm starting to do my bills. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting to rethink this thing of yeah. living through all this. <laughs> yeah. The bills come rolling. Yeah, in. yeah. Well, man, I thank God that you got through it, and um, I know, I know, you probably had to feel like stepping out of the hospital and. I mean, it probably feels like, you know, in a new skin and in a new world and seeing things in a different way, I'm sure. It is, it is. That's good. So, um, well, so again, thank God that he, he brought you through. It's good to see you up, healthy, doing your thing. <laughs> yeah. um, um, take me, let's go back in time a little bit. Okay. Um, September 11th, 2001. Uh, um, not long after that, you, you had to make a decision about what you're going to do. Talk me through that a little bit. Um, well, the same captain I told you about earlier, Captain Finkner, um, their union contacted different locals throughout different states, and he was, I mean, he was an amazing man. Um, so they wanted him to come to New York and set up a transportation division. And the transportation division, it just made sure that 
uh, when volunteers came in, um, when you go to ground zero for priests, counseling, firefighters, anything that needed transportation back and forth, that we would have that outline, picking people up from the hospital. So it's kind of odd that the city of Danville was mm-hmm. in charge of all transportation. That's crazy. For Grand Zero, wow. Ground Zero. Wow. And, and we had about seven guys go up. Um, and then, of course, you know, like anything, the longer you stay, the more your jobs change. So, um, so I finally, when I got ready to go up there, I had to get on the train. And, you know, at that time, you know, if you didn't live at that point in your life, could understand it. It was a true time you could actually feel like an American. You, mm. you, there was no color barriers right. and things. That's right. Everybody That's was right. praying for each other yep. and trying to make this world better. Um, kind of say we all had a common enemy mm. instead of each other. Right. <laughs> we had <laughs> right. something else to That's focus right. on. So um, I, I, I was in. I was at DCC and I was taking a, a class. It was um, creative writing or technical writing and. I, I told my teacher at the time, or my instructor, professor, I said, look, I got to go to New York to Ground Zero. And I said, so I won't be here for two classes. And I thought she would say, great, I appreciate you going, thank you a lot. And she said, all right, well, your first day you get there, write a short story of what you see. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, 20 years later, you know, we're on the 20th year, I got a chance to read that story aloud for the first time oh, wow. in 20 years, that same little, and I got a good grade on it. I don't know if because she read it and seen but the, the horror part of it, but in that story that I wrote for her, the little short story I wrote for her, I told her that, you know, things happen so quickly. When I got to New York, um, Penn Station, somebody was waiting there. They took me to Port Authority, um, took me to FEMA, they had already done background checks, this, got me my federal IDs, my credentials, got me, I mean, I had so many things hanging off my neck. Mm. And so after all that was done, it was about five of us got in a van and we went to ground zero. And again, you know, you've seen those disasters on TV that you saw. And it's easy to watch that TV and disconnect yourself. Right. But when you actually see it live. Can't imagine it's unreal you know one part of my story that I wrote in that little short story was that I can remember that fire truck that they showed that had all the candles and flowers on it of the engine company that went in and I can remember seeing the flag the big American flag and all that was like deja vu because I felt like I seen it even though I saw it on Mm -hmm. TV but the mass destruction that went on for city blocks I mean you couldn't see the end of this thing and and uh, when we something that I didn't put in the story, but after you see that, you're completely changed by it. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you just can't unsee certain things. And we were riding back to the hotel. Um, we, I think I was standing in the Sheraton, like on the 39th floor. So we were riding back, and I can remember seeing a Catholic church and all the kids playing it. And, and Mike, he was from Canada, and I looked at him and I said, that's about the only normal thing I've seen. Mm-hmm is those kids playing wow. and Mike looked at me and I can tell and then that only only part that he ever started crying was that yeah. and I said you alright he goes nah he said I said what's wrong Mike and he goes um those are the orphan kids yeah. <laughs> they can't find you know overseas or wow. whatever and they took them to the Catholic church oh my gosh and, and that the reality of that hits you is the fact that you know, that collateral damage we mm. talked about. Mm-hmm. Damage is damage. Whether it's good or right. bad, damage is damage. And to see those kids playing and not knowing what's going on and who's going to contact it's them. It's good, man. So that, that was, that the whole process was amazing, um, sad. Um, I told somebody, you know, even, even in the story, I told them, I said, probably one of the most honorable moments of my life, I... One of the one of the barrel chiefs came down, came down with like the union vice president or something, and and he said, "Who's over transportation?" And I was like, "I am." And he was like, oh, "We got a job. What's the job?" And he said, "We want you guys to deliver the helmets to the fire station of the missing men. That way, when the family comes in, they don't just have a locker; they'll have their helmets mm-hmm. there." And, and 
you know, and that's one of them jobs you don't want to take. <laughs> and of course, you're looking at 20 years ago with GPS. I don't remember having a map. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I had to go to Flatbush. Oh, so I went to Flatbush, and it's like 9.30 at night. Mm. We get there, and I'm with a guy from Portsmouth, and the fire truck is leaving. And of course, you know, I know the fire structure. Captain sit on one side, engineer, firefighters in the back. So I go over to the captain, and I tell him what we're doing. And um, I told him, I said, he... He stopped everything. You know, he got on the radio and I can't remember the engine company he was with. He told them to send another engine company in his place. And he pulled back in the station. And so me and the guy I was with from Portsmouth, we couldn't figure out what they were doing. So the captain said, um, uh, I'm gonna, y'all come in and I want y'all to drink some coffee. And I want you to fellowship a little bit. And we're gonna tell you about that guy that you brought the helmet for. Oh wow! You know, I I don't, I don't want this just to be. And I told him, it, it to me is not. I'm not just dropping off a mm-hmm. helmet because I've had that kind of helmet on, and I can imagine what he went through, or what right. you guys are going through, and and so they talked. Told he was just this neighborhood kid that just mm-hmm. come coming to the fire station, wearing them to death, mm-hmm. and then later on he ended up being a firefighter there, and of course. One of his friends were there, and he just went straight to the building and, of course, didn't make it out. So all day, I, I told people, I said, I, I wasn't a coffee drinker until I went to New York. <laughs> that, we started that morning, yeah. and by the time we delivered all these helmets, you know, I was drinking coffee at every wow. one of them. And, but I had to listen to the story of these guys, and I think but that's man. important. That is, that's so good though, because it's easy to hear numbers and statistics and, and how many people perish and all that stuff. But man, when you, uh, for anyone who has not been to the 9-11 Memorial in New York, have you been to that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. Yes. I mean, the, the museum and going through and hearing the phone calls and seeing the relics. And for people like us who, who live through that and remember where you were when you saw the planes crashing in, it's just, it's unbelievable. Um, some of the guys, you know, men, um, Captain Billy Scares, you know, we went back a year later because when, when we went back, we ended up staying at Marine One and we built kind of a friendship with those guys. In fact, you know, 9-11, we were texting some of the retired guys mm. that we had met then, you That's know, cool. and sending pictures and stuff. So you build those long-term yeah. relationships and, you know. So no, that's, that's awesome. But just to draw a parallel, um, not that there's any any uh, similarity in what you did with that and, and some of these trips I've been on recently, but man, you, one of the reasons that, that I like to go on these trips with God's pit crew or disaster relief and all these things, yeah, you're going to try to help people and you get a chance to help people and all of those things, but, but you never know what lasting effect is going to come out. Like you, can't, you can't anticipate right. what you're going to learn and what you're going to experience exactly. while you're there. And I would encourage anyone. There's just something that happens when you get away from home, not for vacation, but you get away from home and you leave and go somewhere with the mindset of, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help mm-hmm. someone, whether it's a, a flood or a fire or a, a bombing or whatever it is. Man, you, you nailed it, man. Um, we are a better humanity when we're focused on other people and, and, and exactly. you know, we, 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 we're focused on, on helping each other and that common enemy. So that's, that's really good, man. Um, well, man, we could, I know you and I can talk for, for days on a lot of these subjects. So I want to take advantage of the time that I have with you. Um, change gears again. Um, you're in a, you're in, you're in this spot in life right now where, um, the word dad has a couple of different meanings to it. So I'm a dad, you're a dad, hopefully right. a lot of folks who listen to this will be a dad. Let's talk a little bit about being in that middle spot of of you have a dad and you are a dad. <laughs> what can you tell me about that, man? Um, uh, I guess it, it, it's challenging. Um, you know, we talked earlier about my dad and him being a minister and having different churches and building churches and and just that was, I guess, his focus of life. And to grow up with him, see him. And then, you know, it, it's like all things. With age comes change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, memory loss, uh, slight dementia, different things. Um, and to be that person that, that he kind of depends on, you know, um, as a friend, it, it's pretty mm-hmm. pretty neat now. He may get mad at some of my other siblings, and yeah. he'll call me and let me know what you're <laughs> mad at. And he gets mad at me sometimes, yeah. rarely, but he yeah. does get mad at me, and 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 that that's tough. But 
I want my kids to see how I treat my dad. That's so good. Because there's a chance in life, you know, and if I live long enough, if I'm blessed to live or... Your dad's how old? He's 90. He'll be 91 in December. So, and still doing a whole lot of things. Cutting get, grass, right? To get his food, just right. Just he's he's independent, and and we're thankful for that. But but again, you know, um, you know, we we all have to go through that circle of life, and so I I guess you know if I set the example for my kids, maybe they will take on to that. That's good. And, and if if they don't, you know. Um, you know, we always trying to work on that other resource to make sure that we can take care of ourselves and not be a burden on our family. But we do the best we can, no matter what, mm-hmm. no matter what situation is given. And, and, and he's funny, you know, um, he was a military guy. So of course he's got some hearing loss. And <laughs> so we, we laugh at that stuff yeah. and he looks yeah. at me sometimes and we'll go out to breakfast. We try to go out to breakfast at least once a week. Where, where's his place? Where's he like to go? Check a pig. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's his place. You know, he goes in and he orders the same thing every time. And I'll mix it up just to throw him off right. a little bit. So he'll he'll look at me and he goes, that lady got my order wrong. <laughs> I was like, you good. She, she, she'll get it right on the next that's one. That's so, But, um, and then, you know, I, I see him in a different light. Um, you know, I get to hear some of the stories about his past. Yeah. That's pretty neat, especially about being in the military and being young and, sharing a car with three of his brothers because, mm. you know, that's all they could scraggle up to get. Right. And then, of course, back then, wrecking a car. and yeah. So you, you hear the human side of him because all your life, you know, as a, even as a, as a child, you know, he was always above me. And, I, and both ways, you know, I respect my father. And then, you know, when preaching from the pulpit, you know, that visual there. And now that we're on kind of a ground level thing, I realize it, it's harder for him. It's harder on my dad, and it's harder on people in that position because all his life, he's had this audience. Mm-hmm. You know, God giving him this this powerful knowledge of preaching and teaching all his life. And then when that comes to an end, it's not like somebody who retires from, yeah. say, good year because right. they worked in a department, they worked with some friends, and they just settled down. But then if you've been in that type of spotlight, you see it with movie stars, they just can't handle that. But my dad handled it well because throughout his membership, he didn't build members, he built friends, oh, that's family. That's you know, I think that's one of the the preaching and teachings of this church is family. Yeah. Because if, if Jeb stops being over compassion, he still has these friends, family, yeah, and that's... that contact. And if, and if you didn't go in it for that, then you're gonna be miserable in life. That's really good, man. That I see that in you, where where your dad was in some ways maybe a larger than life figure growing up, and, and um, uh, my guess is a lot of uh, the way that you're wired and the way that you've operated in your adult life, in some ways, has probably been because of your drive for your dad's approval. I mean, and I'm just I'm just making some assumptions here, but man, what guy, I think that's a common thing for us is we want dad to say, or he may never say it, but to express, I'm proud of you, right? What what does that mean to you? It it means the world, you know, most of my big events that I've accomplished in life, even my smaller events, he's been there, and and that's, it's always good to look out in the audience and see him, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, my, my sisters and brothers, and my sisters, you know, they're, they're all the. I have three sisters who do things different, but they're all the same. Yeah. Um, I have a sister that lives in Ritchie, Maryland. You know, one lives on Greenwich, one lives in Blairs, and my mom was really big in the church. Whether it was a church choir, Sunday school, whatever. I mean, she got up all those kids. <laughs> and you talking about a job? Yeah. <laughs> could you imagine getting yeah. all those kids ready oh, and they were going to be in church? And That's she, why he was a preacher, so he could go to church for it. So she did that, and, and, you know, the three of them, each one of them had their own. My, my sister in Maryland, she does like a homeless ministry, of course, senior citizens. My sister here, she works with God Pit Crew, mm-hmm. God's Storehouse. My other sister, God's Storehouse, works with the seniors. They all, like, you know, throughout our family, we all know that common goal is to help people. And, 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 and just blessed to have that kind of strong leadership, you know? That's so good, man. And that's, that's something that, you know, as people who are, 
middle-aged folks, I guess you'd say, raising kids, I mean, really grown kids at this point. You know, there, there's a thing that you do when you're, when you're bringing your little kids along, but, but then when they get in their 20s, that's a whole different thing. And then they start having their own families and all of those kinds of things. We can't drop the ball on this thing of, of you know, letting them, they're, for a long time they've heard from us how important it is to go to church, to follow God, all of those kinds of things. As they start getting into this phase of life now, they have to understand why they're doing it for themselves or exactly. God forbid that they choose they're not doing it for themselves. And so, yeah, we, we have a real responsibility <laughs> um, for our grown kids to, to try to help keep shepherding them in that way. So yeah. um, what, how, how, does, how do you see your dad reflected in the way that you parent your kids? Um, now I've made changes if, if, if that not in a, and I guess if we've been open and honest, my dad had so much going on that, that the little things he may not do, the yeah. hugs and right. to get to say, I love you. And plus he was born in an age or his dad was born in an age where, you know, hugging a man, you know, just more like, having, <laughs> you know, saying, I love you. Right. You know, he could, he, he had the sermons there, but some of the teachings, um, I could see just wasn't brought straight mm-hmm. to me. So um, those things, since I my life wasn't as busy, you know, I, I made sure that I did some some of the things different. Mm-hmm. You know, everything you learn from your parents, good or bad, you have to use it to your advantage. I mean, no parent is exactly perfect. That's if they right. were, then they would be on this earth. So you take the good, which you know we talked about the hard work, um, family bonds, staying with us. Um, working, church, things of those things, those natures, I picked up on those. The negative things that, that he didn't know that he was teaching me to make me better, I picked up on the negative things. Um, you know, we always talk about good stress, bad stress. Right. So even in life, there's good things, bad things. But on the bad things, pick up on them. You mm-hmm. know, the fire service, lessons learned. If something happens, no matter how big or little, the fire department takes a brief moment to say, lessons learned. How could we have done this better in our minds? Because, you know, most people who see firefighters fighting fire, you're like, oh, they put it out. That was awesome. You guys are the best ever. Thank you so much. We get back to the fire station, do a, do a critique, and we're like, we messed this up. We didn't do that mm-hmm. right. You didn't pull that fast enough. You could have grabbed that. You could have did this. How can we do it better? Man. So customer service-wise, um, uh, Captain Finkner, David Patterson, Captain mm-hmm. Patterson. Sure. Is I'm gonna tell you what you talking about teachers. Oh my God! When I first met those guys, customer service. I, I can remember Captain Brown changing a tire for a lady at Walmart, and the chief comes over or somebody came over and said, "Don't you do that?" And somebody said, "Would you do it again?" Yeah, do the next one comes. <laughs> but yeah. but they but that customer service grows with what we learn, mm-hmm. not not with what we do. It's what we learned. Um, you know, when I first opened up the restaurant, I would get people all the time saying, well, hey, man, I was going to tell you this was messed up, but I didn't want to tell you because I said, listen, I'd rather for you to come up to me every time and say, look, you didn't do this right. You didn't make that right. You missed that. I don't want you to walk up and tell me how great things are. I said, because if you tell me the little things that we messed up on, we can correct those and make them better. You know, every day we're looking to improve and better our lives. That's Everybody, good. whether you do it, Knowingly, unknowingly, we're trying to do better. And I, trust me, I got to reboot every day. I mess up. Every day I mess something up. So I got to reboot, you know. So I'm going to recap a few things, man. I I said I love to look at things from the leadership standpoint. but, But, man, some of the things you're bringing out, just the way you live your life, just the way you're operating, uh, managing multiple venues, doing a lot of different things, what what not only what I'm hearing you say today, man, but what I see you doing day in and day out. That whole thing of collateral damage is so good. Living your life in a way where not only are you focused on the task at hand, but how can I leverage the task at hand and see what's going on around me and help other people. So so in a restaurant business, I mean, people are going to come in and they're going to order what they order, but but it's the experience in the restaurant, right? It's, it's, it's the friendliness in there. It's the cleanliness. It's the, you know, getting a good deal, value for your money, all those things. 
that's part of it. But, but when you, you know, man, how many times have I been in there and uh, you come out, you've been back there washing dishes or something. <laughs> you don't have to wash dishes, but I know what you're doing. You're setting an example for your employees and, and you're saying, you know, there's nothing. So, so man, those kinds of things. Um, um, the thing you were saying just a minute ago about constantly evaluating such right. leadership in that we're being being real with yourself you can man what's that thing about the emperor has no clothes <laughs> on or whatever <laughs> running around like everything's okay but when you're evaluating okay this went well but what could we do better that's one of the things we talk about with our team here we get together and have a staff meeting on on monday mornings and we try to talk about or monday evenings what, what are our wins and losses what went well what do we need to fix and um you know, I, the other thing you were saying goes along with that, but 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 inviting people, creating a culture where if something is not going well, if somebody tells you you're not going to bite their head off, you're going to welcome exactly. that so that you can get better. So you can get better. Um, you know, everybody washing dishes for me is you know I I've been you know DCC. I took that small business class, took some classes, um, fire us up off of different classes, but the the most and I know this is not textbook, but washing dishes is probably one of the most knowledgeable things that you can do in a restaurant. Yeah. And, and restaurants vary, and they differ. You know, so I'm not grouping us all together, but as far as with what I'm doing, when I go back and wash dishes, there's a couple things that, that happen. First of all, I know how productive we've been today. If I'm washing oh, wow. so many things of mayonnaise or whatever, right. I know how many they went through for that day. Um, also, it covers waste. Um, if I'm washing dishes and I see five mushrooms in the sink, well, five mushrooms don't seem like a lot, but if you do five times 365, <laughs> you got a few bags right. of right. mushrooms. And you so, know what a bag of mushrooms exactly. costs. Exactly. <laughs> so, so you're looking at so many bags. Mm. So, and then it kind of tells you who's cleaning up behind you, in front of you, if you look at those. So when I go and wash dishes, it's not just to go wash dishes. Um, but that's that is good. my comfort zone. That's good. I mean, I can get back there by myself, yeah. and I got a task at hand. I can get it complete. But as a as a business person, and no matter what the business, I mean, even with the Daniel Fire Department, I told you we kind of um, evaluate everything we do. So that's my evaluation point. But also, um, I think it's important for somebody to walk back there and see me washing dishes. If, if I know, I know I was, it's funny, you know, my son runs the restaurant and, you know, we're kind of like part owners and somebody had come back there, he didn't hire I hadn't met because I've been gone for a while and they were like, well, you're not supposed to do that that way. And I'm thinking, okay, you don't even know who I am. Right. <laughs> but it's all good. I'm going to take care of your awesome. I like the fact that you're looking and listening. Yeah. And then on the other hand of it, when you correct somebody, you got to make sure they understand the big picture. Mm. You know, a lot of people don't take criticism like they used to in the past because it's a corrective action. Right. You know, policy is set up to take care of that. But when I walk up to somebody and I say, hey, you're doing this wrong, please don't do that no more. And usually I take like a brief moment to explain to them, look, I'm not doing that to yell at you, fuss at you, correct you, whatever. I don't really fuss or anything like that. But... I'm doing it for the guy next you next to you that needs that paycheck. If mm. it's done right, people are gonna oh, want wow. your product better. So when I tell you these things, it's just to make us better. I say you may not want a paycheck, but that gentleman needs a paycheck. You know, and and that's the balance that I try to bring in with with no matter what task that I do. And I'll I'll come in and say, what do you need me to do? I never come in and say. You do that. I'll come in. Even, you know, Matt, our assistant manager, I'll walk up to him and say, what do you need me to do? He'll go, well, you need you to do ice, this, that. Because I told him, I said, yeah. tell me what to do. Right. You know, don't don't look at me. And, you know, my wife knows me better than anybody. And she knows that I'm task-oriented. Right. And that's probably one of my biggest problems. If I see a problem, you know, don't explain the problem to me. For 30 years in the fire department, we see a problem and our job is to mitigate it. Mm. The problem didn't happen. It ain't nothing you can do about that problem. But your goal is to stop the problem from happening and then mitigate the scene from there. And if you live your life like that, you'll find yourself in less arguments. If you walk out there and, and somebody's cutting the grass here and they run over a piece of paper and you walk out there and you tell them, you ran over that piece of paper. You didn't have to. They had to spread all over there. That paper, we could, so you done wasted the time to either walk out there, get the paper up, and then go, hey, just be careful. 
and walk away. Yeah. You know, but if you keep explaining what the problem right. is, it ain't gonna go that's away. Right. That's it's still right. there. So I know that's a small way of looking at it, but it's a big way of looking at it too. And 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 I'm glad I I do that. Uh, I think that's important to me to kind of look at a problem, know the problem's there. It's not going away, but I can stop it, slow it down, and then mitigate the problems around it, and then move on, and then do that little evaluation to make yeah. sure it don't happen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, that, but but when I mean, you have to realize that at one point in your life you were just one person, but you're not just one person anymore. You're <laughs> no. you're you're a a husband, a dad, a son, an owner, a manager, a captain. I mean, you know, all of those things. And you're so when you're setting that example, man, where you are right now. And I think this is true for a lot of folks. I mean, if we get caught in this trap of thinking my actions affect me, it's a whole lot more than that, yeah. man. Because people, would you agree that people well, are, watch, are take, watching? Take yourself. I don't think you wake up in the morning and you go, I'm Jeff. You wake up in the morning and you say, I'm me. Mm-hmm. And you walk out that door. Um, uh, we Nobody can spend time all day trying to be a certain thing. Right. If you're not Jeff, then things are not going to work right. That's right. You know, um, like I said, when people introduce me and say a leader, this and that, I don't feel it. I promise you, it it, it doesn't register with me. Um, every once in a while, I'll get a glimpse of it. Like uh, somebody will take a picture or say something or I'll see myself in a certain situation and I'll go like, ooh, that was me. Yeah. You know, and, you know, um, I guess we were watching you on TV and watching your demeanor preaching. And, and that is... That has always fascinated me, even with my dad. You know, I'll get up to speak sometimes, and those butterflies are his, <laughs> and I know, you know, that's that's not me. Yeah. Um, one-on-one, few people in a room, I'm fine, but overall audience. So Jeff being Jeff is pretty cool, but <laughs> I don't think Jeff sits all day to be Jeff. He wants to be me. No, you, because you I'm, are. You, well, you at, are really who you are. At this age of my life, man, at one point I was LL Cool J. Another time I was Alan Jackson. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I've been, I've been, I've been most of the guys that are not me. I've, I've figured out who I'm not along <laughs> along the way. So it's pretty cool to be 52, man. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I can just be me, and you people know, know what to expect. I, I think our friendship over the over the months, yeah, almost year, yeah. has has really grown and. and you know, we always say you're kind of like a godsend for me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, kind of like everything else in my life. If I don't force it, he'll give it to me. There you go. You That's know, right. As soon as I force it. Uh, just a quick story about business. Um, my first business, I did a small business loan. And after that, I said, I'll never do another mm-hmm. one. Never. And so when I got ready to do the firehouse sub thing, you know, trying to get everything together and all this. And I knew I had the liquid equity to do it but everybody I went to me personally I would go into a bank and I would go look I don't want to do a small business loan and they would go you have to I don't have a choice go to another bank oh man your application looks great your credit score is perfect this is perfect that's perfect and we're gonna let you talk to our small business and I'm like everywhere I went and the time is ticking because this whole process has started um, they're building this complex I'm already right. in the mix, already <laughs> gave money, yeah. money's pouring out, you know, more than you want. Yeah. And I'm like, now I'm stuck with this bank that said, no, you can't do what you want to do. And I, I was outside on my phone talking and, and I just said, I'm done. Mm. I said, you know, I've tried everything. I'm not going to do a small business loan. And it's, you know, and I was thinking to myself, you know, it's gonna be hard to tell people I'm not gonna do this because a lot of people knew that I was getting ready to start this process. And I said, I just can't do another one, I'm not. And, and small business loans are good, but you know, it's just something you're locked in, you gotta do a lot of financial, it's just too much. I didn't wanna fool with that. And I was like, oh, hey, I appreciate everything. I do, uh, you know, I'm on the porch talking like a madman. Yeah. You know, hey, God, thank you, but this just won't <laughs> meant to be. So I walk in the house, and I come back outside and I'm like, well, who do I tell first? This is not going to happen. I'm sitting there thinking, thinking. And then my phone rings. And it's somebody from American National Bank. And they was like, Ken, if you ever need a loan or something like that, why don't you just call us? I said, well, I don't like doing 
um, small business loans. I said, I've done one, I'll never do another one. And he goes, I never say anything about small business. He said, you come over and he said, um, we got to know you, heard some people talk about you, some of the things. He said, we can make it work. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, you get off the phone and you get a funny aha moment. It's yeah. like, why don't you do that? Yeah, right, you know, right, You right. could have done that two weeks ago. You He's know, probably you know, thinking, you could have too. You've been banging your head on this thing. He's <laughs> up there laughing at me going, you could have done that yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, it, it happened like that. And that, and I'm telling you, what that time frame I just took you through, that moment of me saying, hey, I appreciate it, walk back on the porch. And I mean, I could see myself on the porch looking and going, who do I call first? And by the time I walked in walked out, um, I got that phone call. Now, what I hear you saying in that is, is you learned a hard lesson, and, but you learned that lesson and, and that led you to the point that said, I'm not going to do another small business loan. I think, I mean, if I, if I, if I, Think about what 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 is God doing in that thing? Maybe yeah. He's letting you go through that to see did you really learn that right? Yeah. So so okay, I'm gonna throw a couple of variables at you. It's not gonna work out easily. Will you back up on what you've learned and and, and make that same mistake again? And but I think I've seen that happen in my life when when He's all right. Or, or have you? It's a test. Have you yeah. learned? Have you really <laughs> learned the test? No, I'm not, or have you really really learned yeah, the thing? Yeah. And when when you dug your heels in and said, no matter what, I'm not doing. It's amazing how the door oh, opens up just like that. And that's cool. And you know, and to the to this day, I, I still just um, I'm just in awe. Mm. I am. Um, you know, when people say, what what was your big business plan, whatever, and really just to step back and look. I mean. Ken Jones is a Pennsylvania County country boy. <laughs> lived in a lived in a house with great parents and was happy getting on a fire truck riding around. And if you if he took everything away from me today, everything, and I mean if I shut the doors, whatever, I'm thankful. Yeah. I am. I, I, mean, I have seen, done, enjoyed. He has put me in places um, beyond what I. And you know me, this always gets to me, and uh, Jeff knows this. Um, I don't know why, and, and I'm thankful, don't get me wrong, but um, I'm beyond blessed. That's I mean, awesome. I'm, I'm fine. I am. I, I smile, you know, all the time, and, and you know, I'm, I know literally you can't smile all the time, but the majority of my life I'm smiling because I know what he's done. Yeah. And it ain't me, because you call Ken Jones and say, what it takes to be successful. You're going to get the worst answer you ever heard in your life. I mean, you're going to be like, I don't know. What, what, who gave him this? But then if you come to me and you say, what are the things that led to where you are now? Yeah. And I can walk you through family, faith, and just the love of other people. You know, I... That that's our lives. I, I love that. That's it. I mean, that's it, man. Yeah. Well, man, that's that's amazing and, and, and phenomenal. And you've given me more than than I hoped for out of this. And we could talk for another <laughs> hour. But maybe maybe we'll do it again somewhere down the road. That'd but, be uh, fun. I, I really, uh, man, I just I appreciate you. I'm so thankful for your friendship. Thanks for taking time to do this. And uh, I'm really uh, excited about what people are going to get out of this. Well, we'll see. Anytime, invite me back. All right. I-